Hello children, welcome back to Coast Access Radio Storytime. Today we're continuing with The Ghost House by New Zealand writer Bill Nagelkirk. Will David discover who Agnes is? Is she a ghost or is she a real person? Chapter 11 If David was a screaming kind, he might have screamed right there and then with Agnes appearing from seemingly nowhere. The hallway is empty until she materialises like a shadow cast by a cloud. But if David has ever screamed in the past, it's not something he does in the present, except from time to time, internally. However, his feet do come to an instant frozen stop while his heart beats more frenetically than it's ever beaten before. As the figure comes closer, David goes to put his mask on, fumbles it, drops it onto the dusty floorboards. Mm, It's unusable now. Mum and Dad would both have a fit if he tried to resurrect it. He'll keep his distance. That's all he can do. With the door open, the breeze moves the air around. There's nothing to be scared of, boy, the woman tells him. I caught a shock, that's all, David says, hoping he's covering up just how badly scared he was. I saw your things in the front room. I didn't know you were still in the house. My things? Oh, you mean Stevens. He's perfectly harmless and only claims squatters' rights at night. I don't mind. The days in this house of mine are long enough with only myself for company. The woman is tall. She has large hands. She wears a woolen skirt, a knitted cardigan, closed-in shoes and thick socks that run up as far as the hem of her skirt. Did anyone ever tell you it's rude to gawp? She says. If you must know, the socks belong to my son. He wore them on tramping expeditions to the West Coast and other places. I inherited them, and I much prefer socks to pantyhose. The camping stove was his as well. I've allowed my nocturnal visitor to use it. The potatoes come from my small garden. Admittedly, it doesn't resemble a garden anymore, but there are crops to be had from it still. Gifts of carrot and of beets, as well as potatoes, minuscule though they are. My name is Agnes Bright. What's yours? David, David Parkhouse. Hmm, David, a good old biblical name. Regal, in fact. Is it? says David, genuinely surprised. I didn't know that. He stores that nugget away to share with Amber later on. Your lack of knowledge in this age of ignorance certainly doesn't surprise me, says Agnes. But David is a king's name, nonetheless. My name has a much gentler association. Lamb. That's what my parents hoped for when they called me Agnes. But I'm no lamb to the slaughter, she adds. Never have been. I'm more lion than lamb. Oh, David says. He's puzzled about this woman. Do you live here? He asks her. Still? Even after the earthquakes, I mean. This is certainly my home, as it has been for many, many years. Now, David, we've exchanged names, but that doesn't tell me anything about you. Are you a squatter? A vagabond? A prowler? A thief? Tell me. I'm curious to know. Curious? Yes, David is very curious too. 
about Agnes, about her house, about why she's living here, when the vast majority of the Red Zone is bereft of houses and of the people who once lived in them. The possibility crosses his mind that maybe Agnes is a little... wacky? He wonders how safe he is in the house alone with Agnes Bright. He's already decided that the building itself isn't going to crumble under his feet, but what might this old woman do to him? Some old people are stronger than they look, and Agnes, with her large hands, looks strong. Would it be better if the perfectly harmless nocturnal squatter, Stephen, suddenly turned up, even though it's broad daylight? At least then David wouldn't be alone. Unless the two of them ganged up on him. Well, Agnes is getting impatient. I'm not any of those things, you said, David says. I'm not a prowler or a thief. I thought your house was empty. Bare. I didn't even know there was a house like this one left in the red zone. I spotted it among the trees the other day. I decided to come back for a closer look. I tried the door, and it opened magically to your touch, says Agnes. As in a fairy tale, I say. I believe you. After all, that's how Stephen came to be here. He was moved on from his cardboard shelter in the doorway of a local bank and found his way to me, to my house, my home. That's the way it's always been. This old villa wasn't always tucked away as it is now. Oh, no. It was once. Let me see. How shall I put it without hyperpoly? A sun at the centre of its universe. What's hyperpole, whatever you said? It means an overstatement, embellishment, embroidery, exaggeration. Take your pick. To David, who claims sounds like all of those and more. Was it, he says. Really? Oh, yes, Agnes says. I'm talking about the heyday of the house, of course when it was one of just a handful on the land and not tucked away behind a much newer, bigger house as happened in recent years, at a time when most of the land around was still farm and market garden rather than the suburbia it much too quickly became. It was so close to the river, you see. Summer parties of people visited for boating, picnicking and paper chases, amongst other things. We always had visitors to the house, strangers mainly, I guess that must have been nice, David says. Nice? Sounds such a feeble word, but it's the only one he can think of on the spot. Agnes snorts, sounding exactly like the lady who'd been welding the spade. Maybe they know one another. Nice? Well, yes, I suppose it was in a way. Nice for the visitors. Not for my mother or me. We were the ones who had to boil up the jam, churn the butter bake the scones, and fill urn after urn with tea. "'Why?' asked David. "'It turned into a business of sorts, you see,' says Agnes. "'My father thought it would be an easy way for us to earn some extra money. "'I suppose it was the latter, if not the former. "'Easy it certainly never was. "'He didn't ask Mother or me what we thought of his wonderful idea. "'All those people milling about, coming up from the river,' and only one long drop between them. Ha! The ladies lining up to go. What a to-do! And the men, of course, didn't bother waiting their turn. You can imagine what they did. Sometimes I didn't know where to look. David thinks he can imagine the scene. 
All he has to do is recall the pooey smell wafting from the vicinity of the Freedom camper van. He guesses there wouldn't have been many public toilets around in the days Agnes is talking about. Now the land has reverted to what it was before, Agnes continues, again sounding like an echo, this time of the gardening man and his comment about back in the day. Earthy and green and empty of houses. A wonderful irony, don't you think? I guess. Agnes frowns, clearly unhappy with David's reply. You guess? What sort of feeble response is that? What does I guess actually mean? Does it mean anything? Or is it just sound and fury signifying nothing? As Agnes's voice gets louder, David can't help but start taking some nervous backward steps, the word wacky repeating in his head. Regrettably, young man, Agnes says, keeping pace with him, step for step, I'm starting to entertain the notion that you seem to have neither much intelligence nor a great deal of interest in all my yesterdays. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that, David says. He risks a quick glance behind him, wondering how close he is to the door. Help me, save me, the house says. As David faces Agnes again, the brightness of the light from outside seems somehow to have diminished her. She brushes his apology aside, her voice dropping in volume, back to what it was before. They both come to a standstill. It doesn't matter, Agnes says. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. That's what's important to a young man like you. The future. Of course it is, and understandably so. But what I still don't know is anything about you except your first and last names. What do you want to know? More, David asks, suddenly weary. And what, exactly? The why is obvious. An exchange of information always leads to better understanding, in my opinion. As for what, you could begin with your provenance. My what? Agnes sighs and makes a big show of wringing her hands in despair. Does no one care about words any more? I had very little school education, but I have never neglected my words, she says. Words are what hold humankind together. Where do you come from, David? I don't know you. No, David agrees. I guess not. And Agnes sighs again. David figures there's no harm in answering her question. I'm pretty new around here. We live in a house on the edge of the red zone. That's the way of it, Agnes says at last, as much to herself as to David. The earthquakes change everything, did they not? David isn't about to argue with that. The earthquakes did change everything, and everything changed with them. Nearly everything, Agnes says. I'm still here and hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Chapter 12 Hanging on by the skin of her teeth. That's such a strange saying, but somehow it seems to sum up very well how David feels too, including hanging on here in Agnes's house. On the one hand, he'd like to get away from the house as quickly as possible, as far from it and Agnes as he can. There's something about the old woman that hmm, doesn't feel right. Even the fact that she hasn't commented on his masklessness is strange in itself. 
someone as old as she is should at least look as if she's worried. His earlier unease about this place, and now about her, seems quite justified. On the other hand, he doesn't seem capable of leaving. It's as if his toes and feet and legs are pushing shoots of flesh and bone down through the solid carry flooring of the old villa, taking root beneath it. Help me. Save me. The house continues to whisper to him. The sound of the bees has also returned, no longer muted, but magnified. You see, says Agnes, I'm a survivor. Amongst countless other things, I've survived river floods, wars, epidemics, depressions, recessions, and housing subdivisions. If David had been fast enough, he could have picked her up on the bit about epidemics. Are they the same as pandemics? As it is, she doesn't pause for breath. In the end, I wasn't too bothered about being hemmed in by the house that grew up in front of me. Being set back from the road suited me fine. It gave me privacy for the first time. The developers wanted to separate our houses by a tall fence, but I said no to that. Let the trees and shrubs grow, I told them. They'll make a far better fence, a living one. I'm sure we can all be happy with that. And we were. Ha! That other house crumbled in the earthquakes. Unlike mine. I'm still here. My home is still here. And now you're here. Agnes looks around as if searching for something. I'd offer you sustenance, she says. But alas, butane cartridges are a novelty for me. And I don't imagine you've developed a taste for shriveled raw potatoes. It's a statement, not a question, but David answers as if Agnes is asking one. No, I haven't. The canisters look like they used up anyway. I couldn't cook anything, even if I wanted to, which I don't. I've got some chocolate in my pocket, he offers. It's probably gone a bit soft. Agnes waves the chocolate away. David eats all of it himself, fills a gap, even if it does make him thirstier than it already was. Now, my friend Stephen knows a thing or two about survival, Agnes says. He lived on the streets for many years. I often saw him there, hail, rain or shine. This home of mine is like a paradise to him, offering shelter from the elements. But it's summer now, says David. Are you sure he's still camping here? It doesn't look like... Shush, says Agnes abruptly. They're coming. David pricks up his ears, listening hard. Who are they? I can't hear anything, he says after a while, except the bees, of course. Can you hear them? The buzzing of the bees streams through the front door, between thin gaps in the curry planking, through other bigger cracks and crevices. Where are they? David asks. Are they your bees? Mine, says Agnes, sounding distracted and agitated. No, 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 not mine. Who owns the lives of bees? No one but the bees themselves. As for where they are, they're here, there and everywhere. As she points in various directions, Agnes spins a full circle, her socks corrugating down to ankle level. At the same moment, David's phone sounds 
the pinging of a message breaking through whatever spell has kept him here. In fact, it's two messages. One's from Mum, who thinks he's at the library with Amber, asking him how his day's going so far. Did Amber's reading go well? Has he taken any photos? Did he keep his mask on the whole time? Too many questions. Too much of an interrogation. The other message is from Amber, also checking up on him. The poetry performances are finished. Good stuff happened. She'll be on her way home soon. He'd better be there when she gets back. David had no idea he'd been away so long. It's nearly the middle of the afternoon already. I have to go. Sorry. He turns and makes his hasty way down the hall, dust shooting up his nose. So much dust. An accumulation not of days or weeks, but of months, maybe even years. He sneezes violently, wishing for the first time in a long time that he did have his mask to wear, protection against the dust as much as against COVID. The COVID, as the gardening man called it, like it's something living. Which, David supposes, it is. Agnes calls after him, flinging a final insult his way. Leaving already? So soon, so fast. Will I see you again, ignorant boy? But she makes no attempt to follow him. The bright, warm light of the front garden feels sunflower yellow after the shadows of the villa's dark panelled hallway. It's like the day has come alive again. Shading his eyes against the sun, David looks up into the sky, an unbroken blue canvas stretching across the vast greenness of the red zone. Something about the view puzzles him. It takes him a moment to understand what it is, and when he finally does, and it's something he already knows, something so obvious that he can't understand why he hasn't made the connection right away, he feels as if he should turn straight back and confront the old, possibly wacky, lady who remains inside the house. Instead, he rereads Amber's message, telling him to get his butt home right now or else, before sending Mum a reassuring reply. What he has to say to Agnes will have to wait for another day. Chapter 13 What's wrong? What? I said, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Tell your face that. David looks up at Amber, thus sitting at the kitchen table again. David unwraps the burger his sisters brought home for him. Her writing group invaded the local mall after their event at the library. Parched and ravenous, he stuffs half the stone-cold burger into his mouth, swilling the mouthful down with a glass of water. Ugh, that's so disgusting, says Amber. Thanks for getting me one, David says. My favourite. Well remembered. I didn't actually remember, she admits, but Brendan knew what it was. Brendan was at the mall. Ops, why shouldn't he have been? Anyway, don't try and change the subject. I can tell something's up. Spill. Guilt, is it? Yes. No. David finishes the burger before continuing, unaware that Amber is giving him her death ray stare until he looks up. 
I found the house okay. On the way I met a woman with a dog, an old couple getting a garden ready to plant kumara in, and then another old lady in the house itself. At least you didn't talk to any strangers and wore your mask at all times, as per mum and dad's instructions. That's all good then. I was outside. David defends himself, but I still put my mask on if I got too close. He doesn't mention what happened to it after Agnes startled him. The old lady in the house is called Agnes, and she's really old and rude as. She lives there all by herself. She said things... Hang on, what do you mean rude? Said I didn't know anything. Told me I was ignorant. How's that rude? Says Amber. Sounds spot on to me. I thought you were at the library reading poems. Says David. Not auditioning to be a stand-up comedian. Sit-down comics more accurate. Says Amber. What else did this spot on, I mean rude, old lady say? Strange things about someone who was squatting in the house, but she didn't mind. Except I don't think that was true at all. A bit about the squatting, I mean. She used big words, words she had to explain, or fashioned words, I suppose. Said that I was named after a king, just like you're named after electricity. She sounds like my kind of person, and I'm not named after electricity. You know what I mean. Anyway, that's not important, but this next bit is. You know how nearly all the older houses in Christchurch still have overhead wires connected to them? Well, hers doesn't. She says it's her home, but how can it be without those? Sounds to me like she needs help, says Amber. I guess so, but... but what? What sort of help? And do I have to be the one to help her? How do I know... Dad used to be a good fixer-upper. Get him on the case. No, I can't say anything to Dad or Mum, David tells Amber. Besides, I'm not even sure what needs fixing. Amber shrugs. She's not your problem, she says. My advice, don't make it yours. Amber is right, of course. Agnes isn't David's problem. But does he want to make her someone else's problem instead? Not his parents, anyway. They've had enough on their plates to last a lifetime. I think I'll have to go back there tomorrow, he tells Amber. I'm not coming with you, Amber says. I'm not asking you to. But you were going to, right? David was, but he knows there's no chance of that now. Don't talk to any more strangers on the way, Amber warns him. More than enough already today. They were all fine, he says. Except maybe whoever owned the van... You didn't mention a van. That's all it was, a van. Nobody in it. A freedom camper, the woman with the dog thought it was. She rang the council to get it sorted. I don't remember seeing the van on my way back, so whoever came must have told them to shift. David quickly changes the subject in case his mention of the van somehow tips the balance for or against Amber reporting him to Mum and Dad. How was your poetry gig? Yeah, it was okay. Awesome. What was the good stuff that happened? Amber tilts her phone as if a message has arrived, which it hasn't, not unless she's turned it to silent. Was it seeing Brendan at the mall? David risks asking. 
Mind your own. Okay, okay. Amber, what? Did you mean what you said the other day about not caring? Amber continues staring at her phone. No, she says slowly. I didn't. Thanks, says David. Agnes is certainly wacky, isn't she? I think David is real brave, returning to the house. It all sounds pretty spooky to me. Next time, we'll start Chapter 14, when David returns to Agnes and the house. Goodbye. Happy reading. This program was made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.org.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.